In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast. We hope you enjoy and benefit from this and all our shows. And if so, then please support our sponsor, Anderson Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. And you can tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our website, cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and register for our monthly giveaway there as well. And as always, we'll post that link in the show notes. Also, depending on when you're listening to this, on April 22 at 9 a.m. Central Standard Daylight Saving Time, that became very critical the other day when we were trying to schedule recordings with people over in England and in Abu Dhabi. But at 9 a.m. Central Standard Daylight Time, Anderson Hauser will be presenting an online seminar entitled Guided Wave Radar Applications in Oil and Gas. And then on April the 29th, one week later at the same 9 a.m. time, Temperature Engineered Solutions in Oil and Gas. And we'll post the info and registration links to these in the show notes. On today's show, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Jerry Lewis. Jerry, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Russell. Pleased to be here. Well, great, Jerry. Now, you're not Jerry Lewis, the comedian, are you? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that question in my life. I just turned 50 a few weeks ago. And luckily, kids these days don't really know who Jerry Lewis is. But as people who are more my contemporaries, Russell, and I'm going to guess that you're my contemporary in that regard, they know and they often ask. And I usually reply and chuckle and say, I'm quite a bit funnier. Oh, OK. All right. Well, I didn't know if you'd appreciate the question or not. And I, I guess it goes to show my age because I'll bet almost all of our audience don't have a clue who I'm referring to. Jerry Lewis was for many years or was from many years ago. He actually passed away at age 91 in 2017. He was dubbed by some as the king of comedy, had a long-standing partnership with Dean Martin, and uh, I guess was most famous for his Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy marathon fundraisers. Yeah, that's right. I, I often got teased when I was in grade school and elementary school and you know beyond by Jerry's kids and all that kind of stuff. So okay, yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> I don't right. really hear any of that anymore, but <laughs> it's actually fond memories. So no issues at all with that. So, so Jerry, you're not the comedian. You are a partner at Enterprise Strategy and IX. Is that right? Yeah, I, I work for IBM, as you know, I think you mentioned, and I work in the Enterprise Strategy and Interactive Experience area, let's say, or domain of the company, which focuses on, on business strategy for the enterprise, enterprise strategy, and then the experiences that we deliver to our customers. So a lot of people are going to be wondering, why is IBM on an oil and gas HSE podcast? I might add, before we actually talk about that, IBM actually is the sponsor for Oil and Gas This Week, which is OGGN's flagship podcast. We thank you for that. For those of you who don't know, OGGN now hosts 16 different podcasts. You can go to OGGN.com, click on the link, find your podcast, and it'll take you to all of those. But Jerry, you're the lead account partner for BP North America, right? That's correct. 
That's correct. So, and this is BP. This is BP, the oil company. <laughs> correct, correct. BP, the oil company, which is moving to become an integrated energy company, as stated by the senior leadership there, the CEO Bernard Looney, and and, and the rest of the leadership there. BP recognizing that it must change its focus over time, net zero by 2050, lots of other goals related to decarbonization, and it's shifting its business around those goals. And IBM's role with BP, I mean, clearly both companies have been around for a very long time. IBM for more than 100 years, BP, you know, very much the same. We've done work together for many, many years, right? Legacy would be mainframe and compute and software and things like that. And in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, more focus on consulting services, strategy, big data, AI, IoT and sensors, and how to make sense of all the data that comes out of those, advanced research, and you know, some areas of focus for the moment for a lot of oil companies, but for BP in particular, are as they decarbonize and focus on that, you know, how do they continue to perform, right? They still have to, to flow and pump hydrocarbons. They want to do that in an environmentally sensitive way. You know, working on renewable energy, building partnerships with cities. There's a lot of things that have been publicly announced, and we help BP in many of those areas across the globe. Clearly, BP is based in the UK. We have a very large contingent of our team there, and I manage the business here in North America, trying to bring the best of what IBM can offer to BP to help it in its endeavors. And we do a lot of work together as a result. And so, all these things that IBM does for BP, and of course, we can relate this to the entire oil and gas industry, but I think you put it under the umbrella of what you call digital transformation. Well, digital transformation is something that many large companies are undergoing now. And I would even say that digital transformation probably is never really complete just because technology changes so quickly. And our ability to adapt to those changes is an ongoing journey and a digital transformation, perhaps it gives you the ability to continuously transform in response to customer needs, in response to changing technologies. Now, whether a company's begun its transformation, that's a different story. And BP is actually quite advanced as far as transformation goes. It's been doing a digital transformation for some time, but one is never done with these kinds of evolutions. It's like if you build an e-commerce website or an application on a mobile device, you're continuously evolving it. And if you have an Apple, like a MacBook, or if you have a Windows PC or any application on your phone, you're going to be receiving updates in the background that you don't even know about to change the experience that you have and to change the functionality. Companies are doing the same thing, Russell. They're changing the way that they go to market. They're changing their technologies. They're changing the ways they interface, the way they sell, the way they buy the way they manage their supply chains, the way they deal with big data, the way they analyze the data and get insights and act on that, the way they treat their employees, the way they interact with you know, the ecosystems they're involved with, whether it's government or municipalities, schools, you know, the cities that they're related to. And you know, we, I guess we could go on, right? It's just for a company the size of BP and as interconnected as it is, you know, as an intricate part of the fabric of our society as a company like BP is, you know, when they make changes, it has massive impacts internally and externally. And so digital transformation helps them do that more agilely, perhaps more quickly and more responsively to the needs of its 
customers and to its employees. Okay. So I caught a post from you on LinkedIn. You wrote a article on digital transformation in the Journal of Cement. So why the cement industry? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Actually, the magazine is the Journal of Cement and its applications in Russia. And the article was solicited by the magazine based on a few keynotes I delivered at some cement industry events. And and I was seen speaking by the representatives of this particular trade journal in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic at the FISEM Global Cement Conference. And they asked if I would write an article or, or do something. And I think we settled on an article. And I wrote it in English, and then they translated it into Russian, and it was published in their journal. And it sent me two copies. And unfortunately, although I did spend some time in Ukraine, my, my Russian is not too great. So I, I couldn't read it very well in Russian, but some colleagues of mine who who read and speak Russian very well, read it and said it, it translated pretty well. So I wrote it for them. And why the cement industry? Well, I spent three years recently as part of my career at IBM working with Semex down in Mexico. Semex being, I think, they're the third largest global cement producer, you know, building materials industry dominant in Mexico and global footprint. And we were helping Semex with its digital transformation. And so I have a lot of sort of direct experience in that industry and looking at the changes that it was undergoing across its entire value chain. And the keynotes that I gave at the cement conferences were, I think I had the, the credibility and, and permission to do those because of the work I did at, Sem- at Semex. But the experience that I brought to Semex came from the rest of my experience, which was mostly in consumer products and retail. Earlier in my career, I held positions at various retailers, running e-commerce sites and operating e-commerce sites and helping build them, you know, going back 20 plus years to the advent, you know, of the internet, or at least, you know, when we started selling stuff online and retailers and consumer products companies were, or at least retailers were always at the forefront of digital transformation, customer experience transformation. And so even at Semex, we were implementing many of the best practices around customer experience and engagement and digital transformation and agility, you know, that we had seen in other industries. And, you know, so the natural questions that you might ask are, well, you know, how does cement relate to oil and how does retail relate to cement relate to oil? The reality is that we see disruptions in our businesses coming from outside industry all the time. We'd be foolish not to look at Airbnb or Uber or Starbucks or, you know, the airline industry or anyone who has given us incredible customer experiences and not learn from them, right? And and not learn from the way that the incumbents were disrupted. If you want to talk about impact, I mean, look at the taxi industries relative to Uber or look at, you know, individual merchants relative to Walmart or to Alibaba in China, you know, and you see some crazy statistics about, you know, no inventory, but more sales of rooms than in the whole, whole hotel industry combined. If you're looking at Airbnb or others like it, Right. So massive disruption. And we need to bring those lessons to our clients across industry, Russell. And and BP certainly is focused on taking advantage of those types of innovations. And and they have entire groups and staff devoted to that type of thing. And we help there. And so the article about cement kind of bringing this all back around uh, about digital transformation and cement is combining the experience across all those industries and the best practices that tend to 
you know, apply regardless of the underlying company, right? So we can find lots of parallels in the cement business to the oil business, but we can find lots of parallels in digital, no matter the industry, and in agility, enterprise agility, things like Scrum and Agile and DevOps and other terms that you may be familiar with, or the audience probably is. We find parallels in those areas, no matter the industry. And, and we definitely need to learn from other industries and in, in building out the best in class experiences for our customers. Because if I'm serving a client that wants to buy jet fuel or lubricants from me, if I'm BP through Castrol, then why wouldn't I want to give them as good an experience as they have on their Starbucks app or through Amazon? And in fact, if I don't do that, aren't my customers going to be a bit dissatisfied? Because when I pull out my mobile phone, I expect it to work. I expect the application to be seamless. And if I don't focus on that customer experience as an oil and gas or an integrated energy company, when I put something out that's less than what customers expect, they're not going to use it and they're going to complain and we're going to invest a lot of money and not get a return. Well, and you're absolutely right. And one of the things that kind of caught my attention in the article, you were talking about various different industry threats, and this specifically applied to the cement industry. But as I was looking at some of these things, I thought, well, wow, this is the very first thing that you listed was environmental regulations and penalties. Yeah. And using digital transformation to find environmentally friendly products and and production methods and, and net zero branding and messaging and emissions events and alerts and response and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at Biden's plan, you know, reduction of greenhouse gas is pretty important. And one of the ways that we can do that is by reducing methane emissions, right? Right. Methane being, I think it's 30 times more potent than CO2 or something like that. Although it it tends to to degrade after a a shorter period of time and, and CO2 stays in the atmosphere for a much, much longer time. It's a very impactful thing to happen. And in the cement industry in China, you'll get shut down if the government detects an emissions event and they're looking. They're using technology to look, to monitor, and to respond to events in real time or near real time. Not everywhere, but in places. That's interesting that you bring up China. I think the audience will find that rather interesting because I would think our first response is, well, China's looking for emissions. China cares about the environment. We, you know, I, we thought China was the big polluter. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think whether they are or are not, and I think they are, the US is up there as well, per capita at least. What the government is doing in order to better care for its people, I, I, I suppose, and to get a grip on the challenges they have because they're pretty severe challenges in terms of what's happening in the environment there is to intervene directly. And so the threat and the ability to respond to it is very real for any manufacturing company or industrial company in China. One might imagine, especially as we're talking about vaccine passports and lots of monitoring of people and their health problems, that it's not a stretch to think that in the United States or any other you know, nation where we've got the technology that we might, with drones or other technology sensors, you know, monitor remotely, or even environmental groups monitor remotely, you know, our oil and gas companies' performance, and then what what is the impact of 
a report or an action the government takes, a report coming from some you know environmental activist group or or an activity an action by the government on our business, it could be significant, right? Shutdowns are expensive and problematic. And at bottom line, we're polluting more than, than we should if we're not monitoring or responding. So I think the reason that you know digital is relevant for that, you know, part of digital transformation, it's not just about customer experience, but it's also about how your company uses technology, how efficient it is at using technology and tying that technology into systems that you already have that are tied into your ecosystem partners that could help you respond right? First responders and folks that could fix things into your other parts of the organization to have to, you know, send out communications, whether it's to employees or out in the public, you know, to manage and control events that happen, to integrate the information flows that you're getting from your sensors into other systems that can in turn, you know, say open a ticket or do something that's going to automate process and take out you know, the human factor from response and, and automate and get benefit of technology. So it takes transformative efforts to get your employees on systems and get those systems talking to each other, some of which are very old, some of which are brand new, clearly not all of which are going to talk to each other natively, right? You put a camera and a sensor out there on an oil field, it doesn't have any way to communicate with your backend ERP system. Not unless you connect it, not unless you have a way to manage, you know, the access and the security. And, you know, you start putting all this stuff out on the internet or getting it connected to a network. And now you got to worry about security, right? You got to worry about cyber hackers coming out and attacking your infrastructure. So I think it's a pretty broad area that companies like BP and of course, cement companies generally are concerned because a lot of the impacts are out of their control. You have an, you have an event. I mean, well, there are events in the oil and gas industry that, you know, have been quite impactful, right? We all know what they are. And those things have a massive impact on the company. So preventing those, you know, getting technology in place and transforming your company to be able to sense and respond in real time are critical for companies, you know, health and safety, and of course, environment. And if I'm saying I'm going to be net zero by 2050, I better well be able to prove it and act on it in the field, right? Exactly. So the role of HSE professionals, they've got to take this digital transformation stuff serious. Yeah, I think so. I mean, anytime you have a human between an event and a response, right, there's a chance for failure because it's not automated. Okay. A couple other things I want to talk about. Uh, Another threat you mentioned, urban congestion, noise pollution ordinances related to logistics. Yeah. 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 Anything specific on there? Or you just want me to talk about it? Just talk away. You, you you mentioned in the article AI enabled logistics, supply chain solutions allowing for smart routing and JIT delivery, which I'm probably showing my ignorance here, but I don't know exactly what JIT yeah, is. Yeah, JIT is just in time, right? So getting you know cement delivered or concrete delivered right when you need to pour it, you know, getting materials that put a building up right as they're needed in order to take the next step so that you can minimize the storage on site that you need, right? And minimize the space that it takes up. And, you know, if you don't have to buy it right now, you can buy it later and you get better use of working capital, stuff like that. But this one is really about a lot of urban centers these days are controlling traffic and controlling noise and penalizing companies or charging companies for the privilege of having their heavy machinery and equipment traversing roads that, you know, otherwise would be traversed by cars or that create a lot of noise and create a lot of pollution 
you're in a city center, which is already congested. So there are benefits to being able to, let's say, minimize the number of deliveries, maximize the efficiency of those deliveries, do them at times when you minimize the cost by knowing when peak traffic is and understanding what charges would be for kind of entering. So you minimize your permit costs, minimize the spend, avoid penalties, you know, maybe take the the fastest route, even if it's longer, right? Minimize the number of turns you have to make, all those types of things, which of, of course can also reduce the safety incidents that you might have with drivers or driving, you know, trucks that weigh, you know, thousands of tons or whatever it is. So there's a lot packed in there. And, you know, for cement companies in particular with construction, you know, if I got a hundred or a thousand people on site doing work and I can't get them their concrete or get them their building materials, they're just standing there, right? That's a massive problem. In the construction industry in particular, I don't know the real size, but it's something like $50 billion a month or a quarter or something like that, just in delays. Well, the same thing happens on oil and gas drilling sites, you know, and, you know, going back to, I mean, you know, getting the concrete there when you're setting surface casing or getting the concrete there when you're trying to complete the well or getting the mud there when it's supposed to be there or the bayrite when it's supposed to be there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And so if you think about all the variables associated with, especially in say a high volume area, you're, you're dropping lots of wells, you're doing lots of repairs or turnarounds or whatever it is, you know, the logistics associated with that can get complicated. I mean, if there's a shortage, if there's, you know, an accident or, you know, if, if you can't get trucks or, you know, labor's hard to find or whatever it is, if you don't have a smart supply chain, right, you're not going to be able to divert in real time and like reroute an order or a shipment and have it come from depot A versus depot B or, you know, warehouse A or warehouse B, you're going to get stockouts and you're going to have all kinds of problems. Now, companies solve those problems, right, manually all the time. But if you're going to optimize in a world where we're seeing oil prices up and down significantly frequently, you know, being able to respond and be efficient and maximize, you know, your, I guess, efficiency and minimize your cost and, and just be smart about how you do these things, uh, there's big benefits. And, and, and digital transformation certainly helps with those types of things. So you mentioned in that cement article, but again, this applies to just about everything in the oil and gas industry, but you mentioned about one company who said that they were on a mission to do two things, put the customer at the center of everything it does and build the industry's leading set of digital solutions. That's right. That's right. Now, <laughs> the, what is the customer, right? Helps to define that. So for, a, for an industrial company, like Semex, and it was Fernando Gonzalez, the CEO, who, who said that at Semex Day, I think it was 2017, right? Their investor conference in New York. For Semex, the customer is different depending on where you are and what line of their business. So Semex has a bunch of segments, big segments of customers. They have industrials that take cement and remanufacture it into things like, you know, freeways and I don't know, walls and stuff like that, among other things. They have builders that are the companies in the middle of the city building big buildings or, I don't know, shopping malls or whatever it is. They have the government, right? That's an entity in and of itself, especially country by country. They have distributors who resell the cement, you know, both to end consumers and also to other businesses, right? And maybe some brokers are in there too. So if you just look at those segments, each of them has 
different needs. The industrial company that's manufacturing, I don't know, a thousand units of a border wall for a major freeway isn't buying cement each time it needs to build one. It's buying cement in advance on some schedule, right? A demand schedule, some sort of planning schedule they've got. So a cement company has to be able to allow them to order that way. And a builder is ordering based on their construction schedules and try to make that as real time as they can. And a distributor, Home Depot, Lowe's, someone like that for our audience here in the US, they're buying based on demand forecasts as well and restocking and replenishing and you know some business to business they do like to contractors and whatnot. But they all buy in different ways. And if you if you build a solution that sort of is the same for all of them, you're not going to please any of them because they all buy differently, right? So how do you prioritize you know, what experience to build first if you're just getting into this? How do you keep the customer, the customer in the segment? So it gets pretty specific, right, Russell? It's not just, you just don't have one customer if you're BP. You have lots of different kinds of customers. But how do you keep that customer at the center of your thinking and avoid thinking about the way you run your business so that you also don't make the mistake of building solutions that relate more to your products than they do to the needs of your customers. Yeah, so you bring up a plethora of complicated issues, and that's really what digital transformation is there to help you with, is to uncomplicate all these things that have to be sorted out. Well, you know, a key part of digital transformation is governance and prioritization and portfolio management and risk management and you know, how you deploy your capital and how you retrain your staff and how you work with partners and all of that. So it, there's a lot to unpack there, right? We could talk about digital transformation for hours and hours and hours and just scratch the surface. It's why it's a, you know, a complicated subject and it's why it takes years and it's why it's hard for employees. It's why there's a lot of change fatigue at companies that undergo this type of thing. Yeah, I would think so. I would guess that. As a matter of fact, since we're coming to the end of this podcast, that's all the more reason why if companies are interested in any of those things you just listed, they need to talk to you, right? Well, there's certainly lots of folks they can talk to about it, but I'm always happy to field you know, questions. And I think my profile's on LinkedIn and you know, the article was published there and anybody can read it and comment on it or just reach out to me through that, that way or, or through IBM. You know, we want to help our clients be successful, right? We put our clients at the center of everything we do. And, you know, BP is my client. And so I serve them and do the best I can to help them with IBM services. But I'm always happy to talk to anybody that wants to talk about these types of things. And it's interesting to me and happy to help Russell. And if you, if you, if you get anybody come out to you and they need to talk about it, send them my way. I'm happy to talk. It's no problem at all. Well, I will definitely do that. And we will, of course, post your LinkedIn URL so anyone can contact you. Jerry, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks again to IBM for sponsoring oil and gas this week. Thanks to everyone for listening. And please tune in next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, discover more about Anderson Hauser at our website, which we'll post in the show notes, register for our monthly giveaway. We'll also post how you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us. See you next time. Thank you, Russell. It's a pleasure being here. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for April 2021. 
This month, we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events, the University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th and the CSPG Geo Women eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.